It's go time. We're winding up the 2023 Canadian Football League season and with one race left to go. Hi everybody, Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Heath, we saw the Stampeders beat the Rough Riders on Friday night. That then put the Stampeders back into, if you want to call it a stranglehold, on the CFL race for third in the West. The Stampeders, though, are up against it. Explain how. The Stampeders, in a sense, control their destiny, if you will. If they win out, they now own the tiebreaker over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and would clinch that playoff spot. Given the performance of the two teams in their game this past weekend, I'm kind of unsure if either team really wants that third playoff spot. Nobody really went out and took it. It was not the greatest game ever played, but to be fair to each squad, the wind picked up and it did change the tenor of the game. So in that aspect alone, there are some complications that played out. The point of this is, is that the Stampeders now finish on the road in British Columbia and at home against Winnipeg in the last two games that they play. The Rough Riders have one game. That's at home against the Toronto Argonauts. The Argonauts, even though they clinched the East a while ago, haven't slowed up and are still winning big. The Rough Riders, if they win, it's kind of a weird situation because they'll more know about their situation as at the start of the game than they will that we can prog- prognosticate right now. Calgary plays BC the night before. Saskatchewan's going to know going in against Toronto, if the Rough Riders have to absolutely win that game. If the Rough Riders win against Toronto then and Calgary has lost the night before, then the Rough Riders suddenly are in the playoffs. That's the way it falls. This notion that Calgary controls its destiny if they win out, yes, that is true. But if Calgary trips up anywhere, the magic number, ironically, for the Rough Riders is one. It is, and what a tall task for both of these teams they've been struggling all season long and now the combined three games remaining are against the top three teams in the league so here go win one of these ones is the is the challenge put before them the best situation right now is that the Argonauts have already clinched first place so they don't have a lot to play for it's not to say that the game is meaningless to the Argonauts but it doesn't affect where they finish in the standings. The Lions and Blue Bombers are still fighting over that final playoff spot, so there's not a large room, uh, there's not any margin of error for the BC Lions either. The magic number for Winnipeg is one. If the Lions lose, Winnipeg clinches, so still something to play for for the Lions. A real, real tough challenge for both Saskatchewan and Calgary coming up. I imagine that the Stampeders were cheering hard that the Tiger Cats would defeat the Lions last week. Didn't work out. That means they're going to face a team in British Columbia that's got something to play for in terms of finishing first. Long shot, yes, but anything can happen. It's the same sort of scenario with the Rough Riders and the Stampeders. The Stampeders technically control their own fate if they win out, but a win by the Riders, lost by the Stampeders, and that all flips. 
The whole point of this exercise, I guess, is that the more you think about it, the more confused you can get because it really has to play out. And it's so hard to know how this is going to play out. Now, there was a comment on, I don't know how to call these things. Is it an X tweet? Is it an exit? Is it a expleet? Is it a what? By one staff member from the uh, Three Down Nation crew who do a fantastic job of covering the CFL. I have absolutely no problem with them. In fact, we even give them a, a shout out after every show. We have a little voicer at the end and we do use them for resource. They, they are great. One of them sort of put out saying it was a shame that Edmonton wasn't going to be in the playoffs and one of these two, Calgary and Saskatchewan, would be. And I kind of fired back. The season is 18 games long and it's not what you did in your last six that gets you a playoff spot. So it's kind of a recency bias. It's also a trade forward bias, maybe more excitement, but it's not a popularity contest when it comes to the playoffs. You got an 18 game schedule. Do what you can with it. If if you don't do enough with it, guess what? You ain't making it to the party. I, I think what they were going for is definitely the trade forward angle. I, I don't think there was any dispute that Saskatchewan, Calgary, and Edmonton have all struggled at various times throughout the season. None of them are even going to approach a 500 record this year. There is a lot of excitement about Trey Ford and the future of him in the CFL and and with the Edmonton Elks. And and I think that I'll I'll still call it a tweet because even though the format is called X, it's still twitter.com. So in in that tweet, what they were going on about was the fact that that is an excitement. Um, It would be nice to see Trey Ford and see what he can do in the playoffs versus maybe a a lackluster performance down the stretch for both Calgary and and Saskatchewan. The Riders, as we know, haven't won a game since since Labor Day. For them to back into the playoffs is a little bit anticlimactic. Calgary hasn't fared much better. They are now up to a whopping five wins this season. So either team is going to go into the playoffs without a lot of fanfare and a lot of anticipation that they're going to make noise in the playoffs. It should we play the games for a reason and and we've see we see upsets throughout i wouldn't say it would be completely shocking if one of these teams goes in and upsets the second place team in the west in a in a one game elimination they're going to be a huge betting underdog though for a reason and the other part of this tweet that i i kind of agree with you is that it might have been a poke at the rough riders and the stampeders for playing so poorly if you want to be a showpiece in the playoffs, you got to do better than what you showed that night when they met with everything sort of on the line in a sense for the Stampeders. The Rough Riders, especially after their 13-0 lead, and we'll get into that game, really disappeared after that. The other part of that is, and it, and it is good food for thought, and we'll get into this in a later podcast. Trey Ford and his future with the Edmonton Elks. It's worth discussing, worth understanding his contract, and we'll have to look at that because a lot of comparatives are to him and Nathan Rourke, and that's fair. I guess one other thing for the playoff picture to discuss is thank you to the Montreal Alouettes for winning their game last week and and solidifying the East standings. It's now going to be Toronto in first, Montreal in second, Hamilton in third. So 
the Alouettes will host the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the semifinal. That is clear. One playoff picture remains, and that's the race. Well, I guess two. The West is still is still undecided. There are four teams that could finish in three different positions. It's more, I think, in terms of promotion that now the East can start promoting the East semifinal because they know the teams involved and the location. And then, of course, the East final, they know a team involved, but the opponent isn't there. But again, you know where you're going to be. In the West, you could be in Winnipeg, Vancouver for the final. You could be in Regina or Calgary or check that. You could be in Winnipeg or Vancouver for the semifinal as well. So it's a little tougher to market the game when you don't know exactly where you're going to be. However, having the fan bases in those two cities involved, it doesn't really matter where you play any of the two games that are left in the playoffs. Both will be well supported. So it's it's not going to hurt attendance. Overall, though, it would be nicer if the CFL had that clear, but then in the same breath, they like the fact that there's muddiness and that games still matter. Flag football has made it to the 2028 Summer Olympics. Crown Gridiron Nation was where I first found of this. They announced it. And at the 2028 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, California, we are going to see men's and women's flag football. Now, we've seen the growth of flag football in Canada recently. The NFL last year for its Pro Bowl, played a flag football game. Great promo. A lot of work done by Football Canada, also Football USA. They've got now the platform they want in the Olympics. And what do you think this means for football overall? More publicity is a great thing for any sport. Uh, The Olympics are the pinnacle for so many athletes and something that they strive to. This will encourage some more of that grassroots development Something that we do talk about on this podcast that is lacking at times in Canada is is more grassroots development. Flag football will look a lot different than pads on full tackle football. It's still going to encourage people to play and we'll see how the development goes and if, if standouts in flag football then will transition into more traditional football. Will this lead to leagues and and professional or semi-professional levels of flag football? That remains to be seen as well. It's going to encourage more people to get involved in the game in one aspect or another that will bring more eyes to the game as well. So if you've got more kids interested in playing right now, their opportunity to see the game on TV is tackle football, be it CFL or NFL. Hopefully, the league can get involved in helping to promote as well. And I think that would be a a great tie-in to have, at least in those nine CFL cities, some support from the professional team from the CFL in developing some of the flag football programs. The other thing that they could do, and I know it's a little tougher in Canada, but if you brought back the All-Star Game format, which hasn't been seen here since the 80s, the 1980s, that is, the idea could be that you could have an all-star game and they could just play flag football. And wherever that venue could be in Canada, most likely BC Place because of the time of the year, but there's a chance too. Why not 
give the All-Stars an opportunity to maybe go to a warm climate and play the game down there. It's a reward for doing well. The other part of the equation, though, that I thought was very fascinating when I watched the, uh, the Crown Gridiron show on TSN was the discussion that this in the Olympics not only gives it more legitimacy, but it also impacts tackle football in the sense that you're going to get a bigger group of people familiarizing themselves with the game of football. The vernacular of football gets demystified. And I thought that was a very interesting point because a lot of people don't understand what first and 10 is, what uh, screen is, what uh, illegal interference is. If you get out there and play flag football, you're going to be experiencing that all the time. And that's going to help your understanding of the game, how to move within a system, how to make a cut as a receiver, how to backpedal as a defender. And we look at the Olympics and what sports they have promoted recently. Rugby Sevens has made its um, its debut a couple of Olympic cycles ago. So I believe they've now had two, two Olympics with Rugby Sevens. Mixed doubles curling has been brought in recently over the last two Olympics as well. So those are, are also sports that tie into a bigger sport as a whole. Even the men's soccer program in the Olympics is, is geared towards under 23. The women's game translates to pretty much the same as the Women's World Cup. But you do have younger players involved in development in the men's game. So... All of those ones are, are, and I'm sure there's more if I think about it, golf is back in the Olympics as well. So these are are opportunities to grow these games, to get more people involved. We've seen mixed curling leagues start to pop up across Canada. It hasn't been a popular aspect of the sport in Canada like it is in other parts of the world. Because it's in the the Olympics, now it is. Rugby, we don't have a, a breakout number of players participating in rugby necessarily in Canada but as this develops and we we've see that with other sports we talk about basketball with the Vince Carter effect with the Toronto Raptors now that there's MLS soccer in Canada we're seeing the development of soccer one or two breakout tennis players brings more tennis players the Mike Weir effect in golf all of these things draw more and grow the game this is a fantastic opportunity to see North American style football develop more players. Here's a flyer thought just before we leave this. Shouldn't basketball be in the Winter Olympics because it was designed as an indoor game in response to winter? Is a hot dog a sandwich? (laughs) 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 I'm not sure what you mean by that. (laughs) You could make the argument for basketball as, as a winter sport because the regular season occurs over winter and it was developed indoor. Professional soccer in Europe occurs over the winter as well. Yes, it's an outdoor sport. Traditionally, you want your winter sports to be snow and ice sports more so than than a, an indoor in a t-shirt and shorts kind of sport. Hey, if it's a response to winter and you put volleyball and basketball indoors, then it belongs as a winter Olympic sport. And they're hurting for winter Olympic sports. That's all I'm going to say. Craig Dickinson has, and I don't know if this came to fruition or not, toyed with the idea of giving the players a couple days off and then maybe going bowling after their loss against the Calgary Stampeders. This blew up all over X. Thoughts on that? Was it his way of saying, 
we've got to calm down and just not get too wound up about our situation. I, I'm not sure where he was going with this. It almost feels like he should have been talking about bringing orange slices and juice boxes to practice as well. I, I feel the tone that Craig Dickinson has had over the last couple of weeks really creates the picture that either he's given up on the team, the team has given up on him, or a little bit of both. It, it seems like he's he's lost with what he should be doing. And, and this goes back a couple of seasons. We have had discussions about whether or not he is head coach material and whether he's a strong enough personality. These types of comments really lean towards him not being that strong leader that the team needs. He was talking about this could be the last time that group gets together. That's almost fatalist. The other part of the equation was team building. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that what you do at the beginning of the season? I think he doesn't have a prayer of being on this coaching staff unless by some miracle they go through the playoffs, if they make the playoffs, obviously. If they go through the playoffs and win the Grey Cup, that's the only chance, a snowball's chance and you know where, he's got right now to be as the head coach. The bigger question is, and looking at that booth, when you saw the president of the club, Craig Reynolds and Jeremy Day sitting up top and the look of frustration and almost anger, what are they going to do? I, I would imagine that already Dickinson knows he's gone. It's just a question of what day. It, it would be very interesting to see if the riders go through and, and, make it to the playoffs and win the great cup. If that would even be enough to see them renew coach Dickinson's contract. And I, I'm not hundred percent sure that even that would save his job. That's an interesting take. Dave Dickinson, on the other hand, there is no call for his ouster. He's laid down the pedigree. He has shown that he can take a team to the great cup and win the great cup. He's done it. This is his first losing season player, coach, any sort of functionality you can name with his uh, tour with the CFL. It's the first time he's ever gone under 500. It happens to everybody. There are going to be shakeups in Calgary as a result of this, whether they make the playoffs or not. There's been a lot of talk about next man up for the Calgary Stampeders for many seasons. It's a great philosophy to have and a, a really strong foundation to build from eventually there comes a time where you need to retool and it looks like the Calgary Stampeders are at that crossroads now it's not to say that there is a lack of talented players on that Calgary Stampeders team because there are some phenomenal players on that squad it's just there comes a time where even the best teams something needs to change. And we might be at that point now. You're right, Dave Dickinson, there doesn't seem to be any outcry for him that he's losing the room, anything like that. It seems to be more of a, a cohesion and a few pieces here and there for the Stampeders to get them back to what we have been used to seeing over the last 17 years. Second down. We start our review of the week that was in Hamilton, where the BC Lions defeat the Hamilton Tiger Cats on a last play field goal. The 33-30 win, as we mentioned, put the Lions into a spot to 
compete for first place in the West. The Tiger Cats coming into that game, had they won, they still kept their opportunity to finish ahead of the Alouettes with the loss. They do not have that chance anymore. And for the BC Lions, it was the same sort of scenario. Win, you still have a chance to finish first in the West, lose, and that chance is gone. The Lions... And the Tiger Cats, this was a real slugfest. Now, it was interesting that Bo Levi Mitchell got to play the first half, and Matthew Schiltz came in and finished the game. This was the game of the week, and I don't know if anybody necessarily anticipated that going in. It was a, a real back-and-forth game, as you mentioned. It's tough to say that Matthew Schiltz had a bad game looking statistically at the numbers. 14 of 19, 180 yards, and a touchdown. There were times where they, they failed to take advantage of the situation and, and put the points on the board that they needed. Bo Levi Mitchell, almost identical completion numbers, 13 of 19, 135 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So great to see Bo Levi Mitchell back in game form. Bodes well to setting him up to be their number one guy for the playoffs. Vernon Adams Jr. did not finish the game. 21 of 30 for 296, an interception, two touchdowns. So it came upon Dane Evans to do the work. He goes 4-4 on the final drive to set up the game-winning field goal and a great ovation for Dane Evans from the Hamilton Tiger Cat fans who really showed their appreciation for what he did for the team during his tour there. Yeah, very classy of the, of the Tiger Cats fans. Again, one of these games that comes down to the last couple of minutes, the last minute, and, and you're looking at whether there was going to be a, a kick back out of the end zone had that field goal been missed. Uh, a lot of things to really watch, and Sean White came in and was clutch. They got him into the position that they needed to do to, to allow him to kick the winning field goal. Now, in that final drive, there was a point brought out and again, a photo of this is worth 10 million words, where Keon Hatcher is shown in the waggle. He's almost past the Hamilton defensive line. The ball is not snapped, and there's no flag in the play for offside. This goes back to the discussion we had last week, and I, we were talking about the Bombers at the time, but I said everybody does it, and here's the Lions getting away with it. There has to be a change about this interpretation, because... Ultimately, what players are going to start to do is tuck a long towel in the back of their jersey and have it flail in the back. And so long as some part of you is in the neutral zone, you're still on side. So just have that tail from the towel do the work for you. This is getting stupid. And we see the evolution of the game and, and the officiating crews seem to focus on different things at different times. Roughing the passer is something that has been a prime focus over the last couple of seasons I would not be surprised if we see the waggle uh, focal point next season and moving forward. As we are all aware, you in sports, you give an inch, they take a mile. This is one of those situations right now where it's not being called that closely. The players are aware of that and those receivers are getting a little bit of an extra edge right now. And, and they are taking full advantage of, of every opportunity that they have to do it. And again, as we discussed in our last podcast episode, when you have such a discrepancy in interpretation, 
you are going to get angst. You're going to get pushback. You're going to get frustration because people do not understand why a person can be completely offside and still be onside. It just makes no sense. That is not the way to engender scoring. Again, you may think the waggle is the latest and greatest thing, but teams were scoring 40 and 50 points long before the waggle ever showed up. This is about execution. This is about talent. This is about coaching. The other thing that came out of this game that I was so impressed with was Vernon Adams. He was hit a lot during this football game. There's just so much fight and I'm I'm looking at that BC Lions bench and how they respond to that. That really gives you a lot of like a gumption, as it were. When It was the same thing when Matthew Schiltz ran over Derek Moncrief in Regina. The bench just erupted with joy to see their quarterback take on a hybrid linebacker halfback and win the battle. And, and Vernon Adams, I think, instills that kind of confidence. He does. If I'm the Lions, however, I might be a little bit concerned about the health of those legs for the playoffs. He's had a couple of games over the last month where he has been hobbled, and this injury seems to have affected his legs late once again. They're in a tough spot where they need to keep playing him to try to get that home playoff date, but how much more punishment can he take? And you certainly don't want to lose him for the playoffs. Not saying that Dane Evans is incapable of coming in in relief and leading the team to victory, but you want to have the guy that got you there be that number one guy. I would be very, very cautious on Vernon Adams and and his health over these next couple of weeks. Late game on Friday was the Calgary Stampeders versus the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Stampeders winning 26-19, a huge turning point in the game, was an interception thrown by Jake Dolagala, it was picked off by Cameron Judge, and he took it to the house. And that, at that juncture, gave the Stampeders the lead. And from that moment on, wind or no, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did nothing on offense. The Riders did get off to a good start. They led 13-5 to at the half. Calgary seemed to wake up a little bit in the second half and, and really took control of this game. A lot of mistakes. There was turnovers left and right. As I said earlier, it didn't seem like either team was as motivated as you would expect fighting for this this last playoff spot. The Stampeders did what they had to do and, and took control of this game in the second half. Turnovers in the third quarter, and we've regaled everyone about how the Rough Riders in the third quarter have just been atrocious during this losing streak. Well, they get outscored 14-3 to here, and that's when the Dolagali interception happens. That's when the fumble on the kick return happens. It just seemed like it, they compiled their own problems by giving the ball up. One of the things that came out of this game, though, the booth really got involved in overturning calls without any challenges. And if I'm not mistaken, it was three times that they got involved. Again, I think they're getting too officious. This is when a, a call is made for a horse collar tackle. That's made on the field as a judgment call. The booth should not be getting involved in that unless someone throws the red hanky and says, look, I don't believe that was right. Nobody did. Dave Dickinson, who had seen during a timeout in Hamilton that calls can be changed, called a timeout and said, hmm, we'll call a timeout and let him think about it in Toronto. And they did. It It's just not right. The booth, if you're going to have this kind of involvement, 
then prescribe it to the bone. Make every detail available. I don't mind if they call the offside, if it's Keon Hatcher getting too down, too far down the field, or or, or Dembski, or whomever you want to use as an example. You know, the booth can step in, buzz, and say, look, we've got a waggle that went too far, five yards back. Fine with that, but... In the name of player safety, you want to make sure that these these calls are being made that can affect the health of somebody involved. I mean, there wasn't any malicious intent or injuries on any of these plays. I, I do agree with you that there needs to be more definition of when and how the booth can jump in without a challenge. We know every potential scoring play is reviewed Turnovers seem to be reviewed regularly as well. My biggest concern is it takes away from the on-field officials. It almost makes them feel insignificant and starting to second-guess themselves, both if the booth is piping in to say that they missed a call or that they've, they've made an incorrect call, whatever the case may be, to have that feeling of the booth leaning over your shoulder the entire time has to start taking effect on the confidence of these officials. Now, Jeff Harbin was the guy that was the replay official for the football game, and that's a name I do not recognize. Now, to be fair, I don't read the stat sheet every time to see who the replay official is, so he may have done other games. But I just felt this was getting too slap-happy with the button. You've You've got to let the people, there's seven of them out there that you're paying to do a job. Let them do their job. If they call a horse caller, unless someone says no and I want that reviewed and they throw their hanky and, and take a chance, fine. Then under those circumstances, yes. But beyond that, no. Don't don't go there. They, I don't mind with spots. I don't mind with even um, if you want to get into if a guy stepped out of bounds or, or if a, a ball was caught, if they want to quick review it like they do in the NFL sometimes, I'm okay with that because those aren't necessarily judgment calls. That ball contacts the ground. It's pretty easy to tell. If they can't tell quickly, then they just got to leave it as is. Like give them 10 seconds or 15 seconds to look and that's it. And the play is going. I, I just, I find it's getting, it took the stuffing out of the game for a while. It just felt like every time the players would line up to snap the ball, there'd be another booth review. With the loss, the Rough Riders now have to hope that the Stampeders lose somewhere along the line and or the Rough Riders win somewhere down the line. We move to Saturday, and what a game that was in Edmonton. The Elks blow out to a 21-3 lead, and... As Andrew Hoskins put out on Three Down Nation, the craziest seven minutes that he's seen in Edmonton, the Alouettes go nuts in that second quarter, take a lead into halftime, 26-21. to 21. Unbelievable. 32 straight points scored for the Montreal Alouettes after falling behind in this one. A little bit reminiscent of the Elks loss earlier this season to Winnipeg where they jumped out to a... 22 nothing lead, I believe, in that one before the Bombers woke up and turned it around. Again, we see potential and flashes of excitement 
from Trey Ford and this Edmonton Elks team. Just one of the shortfalls has been the inability to close teams out. And and not just these two games that I'm talking about blowing big leads, but we've seen them get down into the red zone with a chance to win the game. And then they've ended up turning the ball over. Elks right now are a young team learning how to win and how to finish games. And once they get that figured out, I believe they are going to push for a playoff spot next season and uh, maybe well into the future here. Uh, right now, they, they have a little bit more to do to learn how to consistently close these out when they're given the opportunity. The mistakes built up and the Alouettes took full advantage. The Alouettes defense is doing this. Four to five games in a row, they have scored a touchdown. This time, it was a fumble recovery that was returned. for a, Mustafa Johnson took it in for a score. You're right. Turnovers killed the Elks in the second quarter. They are a team that is getting there. With Trey Ford, they have a real shot. 21 of 30 for 216, two touchdowns. Cody Fajardo, 23-29. Again, the accuracy here. 258 and an interception and a touchdown. And and to be fair, they have capitalized anytime they've had the opportunity. They have. And, and sometimes when you've got a defense that's been this dominant and putting points on the board, your offense doesn't have to do too much. They have to protect and, and take what's given to them. And I believe that's kind of where Cody Fajardo and this Alouette's offense was this week. The defense has really taken over. I, I, I There's three guys or more from that Alouette's defense right now that could easily be their team's nominee for outstanding defensive player and really make a strong case for them to be the East representative in that category. Final game of the weekend saw Ottawa head to Toronto to play the Argonauts. And again, Ottawa got out to a big early lead and the Argos got the wheels going, started churning away, and wound up winning 40-27 to in a game that it seemed like Chad Kelly was a little bit off in the first half and then really caught fire in the second half. And he was off the field for a very quick play as well, and I think he lobbied Ryan Dinwiddie a little bit to let him get back into that game and finish it up. You see that fire in Chad Kelly. He wants to be on the field. He doesn't, he doesn't like the situation of of resting him for the playoffs. He's a, a gamer. He's a competitor and, and wants to do everything he can to get out there and, and finish the job. Ottawa scoring 24 points by halftime, but only adding three more the rest of the way. The Argonauts doing it in the second half with 20 points to put the Red Blacks away. Dustin Crum looked like he was on one leg for most of the fourth quarter. He really wants to be the starting quarterback of that football team. And they courageous, yes, but maybe there's a diminishing utility in playing when you're that hurt. Terrell Pigram did get to see some playing time. But Dustin Crum, 13 of 16 for 183 yards, an interception and a touchdown. Terrell Pigram, 3 of 6 and 46 yards. However, he did have a couple of fumbles. He did. I, I was not surprised to see Terrell Pigram get into this game unless absolutely necessary I don't see Nick Arbuckle coming back in uh, in relief in the final games of the season here the Red Blacks are in a situation where they need to see 
what they have in these young players. And Dustin Crum has certainly been given that opportunity this season. A few more reps for Terrell Pitgram might be in the near future just to see if he is a guy that you want to develop in that backup role or if he's going to be kind of relegated to that short yardage situation. He made some mistakes. Like you said, there was a couple of fumbles. He looked a little bit lost on a couple of those pass attempts as well. But that, again, is him not having much opportunity to take meaningful snaps so far this season. And don't forget that the Red Blacks have two quarterbacks that are on the season-long injured list that will likely be back at camp next spring. For Toronto, Chad Kelly, again, he just he does it so simply. 18 completions for well over 200 yards. It looks like it's effortless with him. He just looks for Deveris Daniels and said, oh, by the way, here. And Daniels went off in this game. Six catches for 141 yards and a touchdown. Chad Kelly spread the ball around well. Uh, Eight different receivers were targeted, uh, seven of them coming down with a reception. Uh, A real efficient night for that Toronto offense. And their defense continues to to step up when need be as well. Sean Oakman, one of the leaders on that defense. That's a, a team that is firing on all cylinders right now. Javon Leak in the return game, so special teams are going well. There doesn't seem to be much of a weakness on that Argonauts team. The Argonauts now go to Regina to play their next game. And again, the question is, well, what are they going to bring for a lineup and everything like that. But I'm kind of of the belief now that that defense especially does not want to take their foot off the pedal. And so long as they're motivated, anyone they face is going to be in trouble. doesn't matter where they play them. I mentioned earlier about Calgary having the next man up philosophy over the last several seasons. Toronto's in that situation right now. AJ Ouellette was rested in this game. It didn't seem to really affect the running game. Deontay McMahon had five carries for 19 yards and a touchdown. Daniel Adababoye for also nine carries for 59 yards. So not a lot of, of drop-off in production for that running game for the Toronto Argonauts. Devontae Williams has another impressive game carrying the ball for Ottawa as well. 16 carries, 125 yards and a touchdown. But as I said, there's a lot of pieces that are capable of stepping into that Argonauts lineup right now and being productive members of the team. Well, when Chad Kelly throws 18 completions and gets 287 yards, you know something's going right. Third down. Three-game weekend in the Canadian Football League as we wind down this season. Each has their significance in their own way. Let's start with Calgary in British Columbia. The Lions are eight and a half point favorites at home over the Stampeders. Stampeders have not won in BC in a while. Can they undo what they've been struggling with all season and that's scoring touchdowns and find a way to beat the BC Lions? They both have something to play for in this one. If Calgary wants any chance to get into the playoffs, they need to keep winning. It's a must-win for them. If BC wants to host that West Final, they need to get this one. As far as 
what I've seen from both of these teams, my expectation is that the BC Lions at home win this one handily. I believe that they will cover that spread. My biggest thing to watch is the health of Vernon Adams Jr. We may see Dane Evans, especially if this one gets out of hand, we might see Dane Evans for long stretches. That might allow Calgary to claw back and at least beat the spread. But at this point, I'm taking the Lions to cover. Consider this. The Lions at home have lost twice. They lost to Winnipeg in a huge divisional matchup, so we'll toss that one away. But they did see the Hamilton Tiger Cats come in and beat them. And they came very close to losing to Ottawa Red Black team that surprised them as well. All games, well, except maybe Winnipeg, that you thought they would have dominated. Can the Stampeders catch them on that same sort of, oh, we've got this attitude that they sometimes carry when they're at home? And can the Stampeders sneak one out? Who are you picking? I think Calgary can get inside the eight and a half. Whether they win or not is another story, but I do like their chances. Calgary is almost to a point where what have they got to lose by doing anything they want? They have to win this game at all costs. So go for it. Just do it. For the BC Lions, it's kind of the same way. This could be a real crazy 35-34 game if Calgary's offense ever gets into the end zone. Now we move to Saturday afternoon in the final two games. First, we go to Regina, 2 o'clock start central, where the Argonauts are 9.5 point favorites in Regina. Now, we don't know who's going to start at quarterback. Most likely to be Chad Kelly with Cameron Dukes. Again, probably seeing some more time. They're not going to be resting too many players on defense, and the Rough Riders have struggled mightily in the last little while trying to get their offense to play all four quarters. The third quarter has just been horrifying for the Rough Riders these last few weeks. Again, everything to play for for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for their season. I like them at home to keep it close. I don't think that they will pull off the win, so I am going to take the Argonauts to win, but the Rough Riders beat that spread. I'm not confident that Chad Kelly will play this entire game either. It's going to be an opportunity for Cameron Dukes on the road to show what he can do. I would agree with you on most of that assessment. The one thing I will say different is that the Argonauts defense, again, as I reiterate, they're the linchpin to this whole process. If they shut down that Riders offense, then Toronto will win on a walk. But I'm I'm of the same sort of notion that the Riders can get inside that nine and a half at home. Whether they win or not is another story. It, it just, to me, where is their head space? Do they even want to be in this game anymore? Do they want to get the season over with because of what's been happening? The final game, the late game on Saturday, is Winnipeg getting back onto the field to play the Edmonton Elks. Winnipeg 11.5 point favorites at home. Winnipeg, depending on what happens the night before, and this is the whole business of that Calgary-BC game, impacts both Toronto and Saskatchewan and Edmonton and Winnipeg. Winnipeg, with the knowledge that BC is no longer a threat, what do they do? Despite one loss at home, the Bombers at IG Field have been a very impressive team to watch this season. Not only have they won seven of the eight games, they have won all of them pretty handily. It'll be fun to watch 
Trey Ford and the Elk, I, I think this is an opportunity for them, much like we talked about BC and Calgary, to leave it all out there this week, have some fun and, and see what you can do to put some pressure on that Winnipeg defense. I do like the Bombers at home. I think that they will be fired up for their last regular season home game for those fans. And, and I expect Winnipeg to come out and win this one and cover the spread. Edmonton's still working to see what lineup they want to have going into camp next year. Mark McLaurin, who had been a mainstay in that Edmonton defense, whether at linebacker or defensive back, was released. So Chris Jones is still taking this seriously. Like, if you want to be a part of this team, I want you to perform in this sort of way. For Trey Ford, he did give Winnipeg fits before. It's a question now in that environment, which is... I give Winnipeg credit at IG Field. They make it really tough on the opponent because that crowd is so loud. It really does give a boost to the home team. I'll put it to you this way. If BC wins the night before, Winnipeg covers easily. If BC loses the night before, the Blue Bombers might be hard-pressed to cover. I think that's a fair assessment. You're right, it does... Should BC lose to the Calgary Stampeders, that will be the opportunity Winnipeg is looking for to start to manage the snaps that a lot of their players will take. You may even see some of those starting offensive players rested. They've been very cautious throughout the season with Jackson Jeffcoat. He's been nursing some injuries, so you might see an opportunity to give him some rest as well. So absolutely, you have to keep an eye on what happens Friday night to really determine how this one's going to finish. And and what kind of mental state are they in? If they watch the late game and see that the Lions have won, they go to bed and wake up the next morning knowing that they've won first place. Now what? It really could have a massive letdown for the Blue Bombers if Calgary goes in and, and beats the Lions. for listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on podbean and can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter at third down gamble join us again the third down gamble podcast audio worth watching third down gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.